CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info. Thanks for listening to the Political Rewind podcast. Be sure to like and follow us and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're coming to the end of another week here on Political Rewind and have a lot to talk about. I'm Bill Nygut, and as always, I'm grateful that you're joining us for our show today. The big national uh, political story uh, today is that Mike Pence, vice president, former vice president of the United States, testified in front of the federal grand jury looking at Donald Trump's efforts to block uh, the uh, results of the 2020 presidential election from being made official. Um, obviously, Mike Pence has a lot of information he might want to share with that grand jury. He tried to stop uh, the uh, testimony from moving forward, uh, and so did Donald Trump. But eventually, uh, uh, Pence was in there, apparently, for as long as five hours or more yesterday. We'll see if we can find time to talk about that a little later in the show. But we have some good Georgia stories I want to get to as we begin the conversation <clears throat> Excuse me, with our panel, starting with my Friday partner, on Political Rewind, Jim Galloway, former political columnist for the AJC. How are you, Jim? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, uh, this week has just flown by. It's just packed. Yeah, lots going on. Uh, Donna Lowry is uh, here. Of course, you know her as the host of Lawmakers on GPB-TV during the legislative session. But Donna's stepping in as a reporter for GPB, <laughs> returning to her days... Yeah. When those of you who live in the North Georgia media market know Donna as a celebrated TV reporter covering, among other things, uh, eventually the education beat for Channel 11, 11 Alive, WXIA. Donna, I'm glad you're here today. Uh, glad to be here and, and happy about returning to the, the roots that I, that I had for a period of time for GPB. Looking forward to it. Um, well, we're looking forward to having you to uh, round out the journalists on the panel. Chuck Williams, veteran reporter from Columbus, Georgia, in print for years, now at WRBL uh, TV. Uh, Chuck, thank you for being here today. Appreciate it, Bill. Always a pleasure. And we're also joined by Alan Abramowitz, professor emeritus of political science at Emory University. Hi, Alan. Thanks for joining us. Glad to be with you. All right, let's get to um, the first story that I have on my list to talk about, Jim Galloway. Um, it's basically round two of what has become a battle uh, between the lieutenant governor, Bert Jones, and the chancellor of the university system of Georgia, Sonny Perdue. To remind people of what started, what sparked that battle, uh, Bert Jones, uh, during the legislative session, was pushing very hard to eliminate certificates of need for uh, medical centers, hospitals around the state that put them in conflict with the university system of Georgia because they wanted to complete a big deal um, with Wellstar uh, in, in, in Augusta, around the university in Augusta. And so Purdue was very critical of the certificates of need bill, and uh, the two started a feuding uh, back 
over that. And, of course, Burt Jones didn't get his way on that. Now, Jim, the battle comes down to, uh, if it is a battle, and we'll see how Purdue responds, um, now Burt Jones has sent a letter to the university system. He cut their budget by $66 million, along with his uh, Senate colleagues, and um, Jones, and, and Purdue complained about that cut. Jones wants to know now, well, if you're worried about the cuts in the budget, I think it's time you give us an accounting of how much money you're spending on your diversity, equity, and inclusion programs, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I would. Con- uh, this does have elements of that of, of the uh, the Wellstar fight that you that you mentioned, but I I think this and and many of the other topics that we're going to talk about today are are are, are examples uh, of uh, the developing schism within the within the Republican Party, national and state, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's 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 uh, the 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 uh, show me your DEI spending is a is a uh, that's 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 ripped right out of the the Ron DeSantis playbook. Uh, it is it is a it is a challenge to to Republicans who are actually in charge of the government right now. Uh, and and I, I I think this is Bert Jones is showing that he wants to be the next governor, and he thinks the the route to becoming the next governor is going to be through uh, through some rather hardcore Republican territory. Um, in a letter that uh, Jones wrote uh, to the university system, he said these DEI programs are particularly concerning when taxpayer funds are used to enforce the type of intellectual and political conformity that appears to be the hallmark of many campus DEI initiatives. Um, And he went on, uh, Alan Abramowitz, to cite as an example of that, an incident at Stanford, not in Georgia, where a conservative federal judge was shouted down and forced out of a speaking appearance there by more liberal students uh, who did not want to hear what he had to say, right? Right. Uh, and, and I think uh, a lot of people, including many liberals, would agree that that, that was a very unfortunate um, uh, event and, and uh, that the actions that the students take were heavily criticized uh, on, the, on the left uh, as well as on the right. But I, I think this is really a stretch for Burt Jones to bring that in as a way of uh, going after these uh, sort of diversity programs in the University System of Georgia, where nothing like that, as far as I know, has happened. Um, And I think it just shows uh, that Burt Jones is is trying to use this issue and others to try to position himself um, as a culture warrior, um, appealing to the Republican base uh, to position himself for a possible run uh, for governor, you know, in in uh, you know in 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 twenty six, so um, it's very political, and um, it'll be interesting to see how Sonny Purdue responds to this. Sonny Purdue, a former Republican governor himself, appointed to his position by the current Republican governor. Um, a lot of the faculty uh, were unhappy in the, in the system in the University of Georgia system were unhappy with his appointment. Uh, but now he finds himself in a position where he really has to defend the university uh, against these sorts of attacks. So Chuck and then Donna, let, let's be clear about something. Um, when 
Bert Jones talks about DEI programs and the fact that it's time for the university system to disclose their expenditures. The University of Georgia did exactly that uh, uh, when another request of uh, the same uh, uh, caliber was made uh, uh, a year or so ago. And here's what the university said, Chuck, and then I'll, I'll ask you to comment, that DEI efforts at UGA are, quote, defined broadly to include the financial need of potential students, religious uh, affiliation, accessibility challenges, being the first in the family to attend college, hailing from a rural area or having served our country in the military, in addition to considerations of race, gender, sexual orientation, identity, and ethnicity. So in that case, they're talking about how they use diversity as a tool in expanding the uh, student body to be more diverse. Bill, I think you're right. And I'm not sure how you put a number on that because a lot of that is probably scholarship money that's coming from various endowments that the university probably controls and they pick these students to receive it. So it can't it can't be an easy way to put an exact number on that spending. But one thing and the advice I would offer to the lieutenant governor and he doesn't need advice from a lowly reporter down in Columbus, but a lot of people have made terrible mistakes by underestimating Sonny Purdue. If you don't believe me, call Roy Barnes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree I would agree with you. I agree with you, um, uh, both all of you. And I, I think, Bill, that the the answer by the by UGA um, mentions everything by the University System of Georgia mentions everything. The DEI isn't just dealing with the race. I think a lot of people are want to put it in that box. It deals with women's issues, expanding the number of women in certain subjects to be able to go into science or other areas they haven't been into. Um, that, that there there is a lack of women in. Um, is dealing with neurodiverse people, um, maybe who have autism, who learn differently, people with disabilities, um, not given a voice, people rural versus suburban and urban, um, making sure everybody has a chance. And, and for me personally, as a military brat, people like me who went to nine different schools before, for before college, having the same opportunity of those uh, who um, lived in the United States for, you know, before going to college, um, who or somebody like me who didn't necessarily do that and getting that same, same kind of consideration, kind of looking at more broadening the opportunity and um military veterans as you mentioned having the the ability to succeed in the civilian world those kind of considerations um and i believe that uh, you know the university system of georgia will pass along that information again to those criticizing these dei programs and help people better understand what they're all about um, because I think there's this narrow view of DEI. Of course, Jim, it, when you look at the Jones letter, it is certainly about more than diversity in terms of admissions. Uh, it's also about what he calls intellectual and political conformity, which I assume uh, it points towards how uh, uh, wanting to know more about who is teaching what classes and what are they teaching. Right, right, and and here we get into this is this is where we get into uh, definite uh, Floridian air, uh, territory, uh, and beca because that's uh, and 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 he's got to be very very careful here because 
because we've we've been through this before. Uh, uh, I mean, it's been a few decades since Gene Talmadge went after uh, the University of Georgia and what what is now Georgia Southern, uh, because you had you had uh, professors uh, advocating uh, segregation. But but that but that move I think that was in forty two or so that move darn near cost him his the rest of his career uh, because uh, Georgia uh, the, the the university system of Georgia was decertified and uh, and and uh, people woke up to discover their diplomas were no good uh, it, it's it's a it's a, it's a it's a very very treacherous path and I, and I think when you have Especially when you have, if you're if you're trying, uh, like like Republicans are trying to trying to draw more, uh, trying to uh, provide more services, give uh, to to rural Georgia, to give rural Georgia more access to 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 places where they can they can they can get uh, uh, some uh, some economic uplift. Uh, this is this is very interesting territory to go go after. Alan, in in a much broader uh, sense, I I want to pick up on something you uh, said a couple of minutes ago. You you said that the incident at Stanford in which a conservative federal judge was essentially forced out of a speaking engagement by students who don't like his politics, that there are many liberals or or maybe even middle-of-the-road Americans who aren't happy with what they see as a form of censorship when uh, students rise up and try to stop from someone from speaking uh, on, in, in a way that they don't agree with and or they don't agree with the, the, the history of that particular individual, what they've done in the past. And, and it does seem to me, and I turn to you as an academician, to say I, I, we probably do have good reasons to worry about whether or not we've come to a place where uh, diversity of viewpoints are still welcome on college campuses, whether they're in Georgia or elsewhere in the country. Yes, I mean, I, I think it's a real problem, um, particularly at elite universities like Stanford. Um, but then I think you have to look, ask the bigger question, which is where, where is the greater threat to freedom of expression and academic freedom coming from? Is it coming from these sorts of you know, episodes on the left, um, where we, we see an attempt to shut down conservatives, or is it coming from conservatives who are trying to exert greater control over curriculum, um, you know, over uh, the programs within the university, basically because they don't like what is being taught, uh, or their supporters, their voters don't like or uncomfortable with some of the things that are being taught, some of the research that's being done. Um, and I think in the, you know, if you look across the whole country, uh, I think it's pretty clear that the far greater threat is from the right. Um, that's where we're seeing efforts to remove books from libraries coming from. That's where we're seeing efforts to shut down um, of voices uh, who uh, are critical or oppose policies that are being implemented, uh, even to the point of uh, excluding um, members of legislatures um, who are expressing their opposition and disagreement with policies that are being pursued, as we saw in Tennessee and as we just saw in Montana. So I think I think that that to me is poses a much greater threat. Not to say that there is no, uh, you know, there is nothing to these criticisms of uh, that that kind of uh, uh, effort coming from the left as well. So Donna, that takes us into your old territory, education, uh, whereas Alan discusses a conservative legislature 
uh, we can point to this, said, uh, you know, pass the divisive concepts bill, uh, which will uh, 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 make it difficult for teachers in the state system at all levels to figure out how they're supposed to talk about issues uh, like uh, uh, slavery uh, and, and other issues that might make some students uncomfortable. Yeah, actually, DEI, you can put CRT, uh, critical race theory and DEI into the same pot. I mean, they, and a lot of what happened at the K-12 level came up because of uh, DEI people be being put in place. And then that framed in the as uh, critical race theory issues where they are trying to figure out um, trying to tell teachers exactly what they can and cannot say. So I think that this is just, um, and first of all, it's it's a national issue to go after DEI programs. So in the in the sense of the Lieutenant Governor looking at this, but also it as was as mentioned earlier, it's, it's extending this um, this kind of battle between the the two sides, the more conservative side with Lieutenant Governor who's upset over, what happened with the the um, uh, the bill dealing with the the trying to get the bill passed that would allow him to open up more hospitals in the in the in the state and the the other side that's saying okay that we're you know we're not going to focus on this that we're going to move ahead so it you know it's it's really making it more difficult at both the k-12 and the higher education levels to be able to um know what what to say what to do how to move forward and how to make sure that everybody is getting the education they deserve so, so Chuck, of course, I, we've now demonstrated there are many threads that take us in a lot of directions, starting on this conversation about DEI. Uh, to close off this part of the show, I'd like to ask you to pick up on something important that I think Jim Galloway started us off with, which is this is another example of the splintering in the state Republican Party. We saw it as recently as... Uh, just in the past week, when the governor said he would not attend the state Republican convention down in your territory in Columbus, Brad Raffensperger said he wouldn't go. Chris Carr won't go. So we know Kemp has set up his own leadership fund to raise money separate from the party. So uh, this is, as uh, Jim points out, another example of that split between two powerful forces, uh, the uh, governor and Sonny Perdue on one side, really, and a lieutenant governor who may have higher ambitions moving forward in the same party. You know, the Republican convention, I think it's June 9th and 10th in Columbus, is going to be interesting for a couple of reasons. One, you mentioned the governor and Raffensperger, Carr, others that uh, I think uh, Insurance Commissioner King said he's not coming as yes. well. So who's the star of that convention going to be? It's going to be Burt Jones. He is, it's going to be his platform, it's going to be his people, it's going to be his party. And it is going to be really interesting to see what people who may be more aligned with the thinking of a Governor Kim, or more aligned with the thinking of a former Governor Purdue, or Brad Raffensperger, what they do in that room, that's what I'm going to be looking at in that room. What are the people who are the more moderate Republicans that are more concerned about general elections than they are primaries? How do they handle that room? And you talk about the splintering bill. There is no doubt in my mind, it is, you better wear gloves into the 
into the into the convention hall that day because there are going to be splinters everywhere. Alan, I think that's exactly right. Um, and what we've been seeing happening across the state has been um, in, in county after county the takeover of the Republican Party organizations by the far right pro Trump uh, faction uh, of the party. But I did want to um, kind of uh, push back against w- one thing that you just said uh, a little bit, and that and that is to describe the pro camp you know, faction as moderate. They're not moderate. Okay, there is no moderate faction in the Republican Party today. Um, with the split that we're seeing, and it's, it's, it's easy to call them moderates because they're maybe relative to the uh, the far right group. They are they look moderate, but they're very conservative in terms of the policies that they that they support. Um, I think that's so this, important. The, I think that's go ahead. I'm sorry, Alan. Yeah, this is this is a battle between the right and the far right. Um, and uh, Chuck Chuck. Resp- Respond real quickly, Chuck. It, I, I, I couldn't agree more. When I say moderate, don't misunderstand what I'm saying there. But there are moderate players in the Republican Party that would go with Kemp before they oh, would sure. go skip over. And that and that's kind of what I was trying to say and maybe didn't say it as articulately as I uh, should have. Well, I, I, I do. OK, I want to move on because we have a lot to talk about. But I, I think that, Alan, your point is very well uh, made. I mean, we Absolutely. you know, those who think that we've said it on the show many times. To call Brian Kemp a moderate just because he opposes Trump would be a ter- terrible mistake. <laughs> he passed one of the harshest abortion laws in the state. He continues to want uh, uh, easier access to guns, so he is certainly no moderate. Um, all right, let's let's move on. Uh, Jim, uh, Brad Raffensberger was up in Chicago yesterday to speak to a, a national political reporters conference at the University of Chicago, and. Um, he was on a panel in which he was asked about what he sees as the weakest link in the chain for American democracy. And Raffensperger said it isn't voting machines or election officials, which President Trump, uh, former President Trump, blamed for, quote, election fraud. Instead, Raffensperger said it is disinformation from candidates and bad actors. Quote, it's the candidates and their consultants who don't want to admit their candidate lost because it means I'm a bad consultant. Well, you should have run a better campaign for your candidate, or your candidate shouldn't have said some of the dumb things that he did. But those are the consequences, because voters are smart. Ravensburger pushing back hard on this idea there's a problem with voting machines and election workers. It's disinformation. Right, right. And it's it's absolutely stunning uh, just to see uh, uh, the, 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 the... I guess the the trajectory of of Brad Raffensperger, uh, because two years ago when 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 COVID was at its height and we were, or, or was that three years ago? I, I lose count. When we were in the middle of a of 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 the the twenty twenty election, uh, and and he sent out all those those uh, those ab, uh, ab, absentee uh, ballot applications to every voter in the state. Uh, his stock went so far down among Republicans. I mean. Uh, uh, House Speaker David Ralston was on his case. Uh, uh, Governor Kemp w- would 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 barely speak to him, uh, and now he is he is he is he is he is probably the most untouchable uh, uh, Republican in all of Georgia right now. And and what he says matters, and and what he's saying right now, actually, it, it kind of it, it it very much echoes what Brian Kemp said last week. 
I believe it was in Tennessee with with uh, at, at the, that uh, Republican gathering that that you have to uh, Republicans have to start dealing with the truth. Uh, you can't take this you, uh, this this misinformation, this disinformation. It's a shortcut. Uh, that's that's very pleasurable at, at the outset, but it's got just these grave consequences at the at uh, uh, when when chickens come home to roost. Uh, it's also interesting, Alan, that Raffensperger in his conversation said uh, he thinks election officials um, uh, should all be elected as candidates, as he is as Secretary of State. He says when it comes to your priceless franchise to vote, I think that person should be elected. Because then you can decide if you want to reaffirm them. Um, when you have a state election board, you kind of wonder who's in charge and who you can get mad at. That's an interesting idea. Uh, well, <clears throat> of course, the fact is that you know he, he, some of his powers were taken away um, uh, by uh, by the legislature after they, they were unhappy with 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 the way he handled the election. But you know, there's there's one piece missing in Brad Raffensperger's assessment. Uh, he, he's certainly correct uh, that the problem is not with the voting machines and, and the election officials. Um, this information is a big problem, but 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 he's he's giving the voters a pass on this. And you have to ask yourself, what what is the motivation for this disinformation? Uh, why do we see candidates and and elected officials uh, and media outlets putting out this kind of disinformation? I'm thinking here of Fox News in particular. And what we've learned is that they're doing it because it's rewarded. They're doing it because that's what the voters, their voters, want. This is driven by demand. There is a demand for this disinformation. The Republican voters in particular, a large percentage of them, want to be told that the election was stolen. And they, they if you try to tell them otherwise, they will... Uh, they will abandon you, and that's what was. That's what Fox News was was worried about, and and that's what Republican um, candidates are worried about, and that's why they're lining up behind Donald Trump right now. All right, uh, Alan Abramowitz gets the last word in the first segment of Political Rewind. Lots to talk about when we get back, but let's pause for these messages. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Alan Abramowitz, Chuck Williams, Jim Galloway, and Donna Lowry on today's Political Rewind. Donna, when Governor Kemp uh, began uh, uh, touting Georgia as the alternate energy capital of the United States, it all seemed very simple and straightforward. Uh, Hyundai building an enormous plant down near Savannah, Rivian out there beyond Athens, SK Batteries, Q-Cells, the solar panel manufacturer up in northwest Georgia. It all seemed like it made perfect sense to many people. Thousands of jobs pouring in and enormous investments of money. 
I get there are people who object strongly to the tax breaks being given to attract those jobs. But that isn't the question for today. The question for today is that this past week, the U.S. House passed its uh, 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 debt ceiling measure and, of course, had a lot in it uh, that create poison pills that will assure that we'll never get through the Senate. But one of the things that that bill does is it would revoke tax breaks and other clean energy and manufacturing incentives that were part of President Biden's Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, and which, of course, in the long run, will uh, offer the possibility of increasing production of EVs here. So it's all of a sudden complicated by that. It's complicated by the fact that that act applies only to vehicles assembled in the United States, uh, which means Hyundai isn't going to qualify for the credit for quite some time. Uh, Governor Kemp is angry about that. John Ossoff um, and Raphael Warnock are trying to find workarounds that will help them. I mean, this thing just seems to get more and more complicated uh, by the minute with Republicans in Washington, Republicans in Georgia, not on the same page. Yeah, it really does. Uh, you know, this GOP effort to kind of take the air out of President Biden's Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, it puts Kemp and, you know, other uh, Georgia Republicans in this really difficult um, position, supporting a party uh, in its efforts to go after Biden, uh, Biden, but risking losing its effort to woo these companies into the state because they've done so well with all of that. And then to to try to find a way to walk that line where uh, they continue, the state continues to benefit from these clean energy companies coming into the state and yet um, holding along, making sure that the um, that the party, that they're party players, that they're part of everything. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine how difficult it is to, um, to walk that line for the, the governor and others in the state. Well, Jim, it becomes even more interesting because it was just a week ago that um, Republicans had a field hearing, congressional field hearing uh, in Peachtree City. The House Ways and Means Committee came down and essentially they, too, uh, talked about how Biden's Inflation Reduction Act was destroying the economy. Uh, Congressman Mike Collins uh, made a comment in which he said that uh, clean energy incentives don't do anything to address the region's traffic-choked interstate highways. Um, it, it Again, they're, they're fighting in opposite directions on, on this. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's, 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 there, there's, we're seeing just a, a, this huge difference between, between Republicans who are in charge of government and Republicans who are not in charge of government. Uh, uh, the, the 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 latter being being House Republicans in Washington D.C. The former being uh, uh, Governor Brian Kemp and his team at, at the at the state capitol, and it, it's put Kemp in this this very very odd place where he has to criticize the Biden package for something, and and he has chosen to 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 look at the the restrictions that 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 are placed on on uh, on 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 electric vehicles vehicles that are not manufactured in the U.S. Uh, 
I, th- I think John Ossoff says that the he, he's he, that Kemp is mis- misinterpreting uh, the legislation. He, he's offered to to sit down with uh, with with his people to talk talk it out. But re- do remember, you do have Kia announcing that it's going to shift to to EV production down in down in uh, down near Lagrange in, in Troop County. So that's it's that's a that's a very very big deal. And this this the contradiction comes up where the. <clears throat> There was in, in uh, Greg Bluestein had an article in yesterday's paper uh, that had this this quote from from Kemp saying, "Well, well, he, he doesn't like Biden's uh, uh, program because it's picking winners and losers." Well, when you're subsidizing Rivian, when you're subsidizing Hyundai to to, to the tune of tens of millions of dollars, uh, you're 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 picking some winners there. Uh, you 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 are determining who the losers are. Well, Chuck, you you have a particular interest in the Kia plant. I do. It's forty miles. And uh, Jim, the people in West Point would like for you to say it's in West Point, Georgia. Oh, um, oh excuse me, excuse uh, me. <laughs> I'm just picking at you, but when you look, it's a consumer issue to me in many ways. Anecdotally, today just. Do, do this today when you're driving around, and I know in this part of the country, and I know in Atlanta when I'm there, look and see how many Kias and Hyundais that pass you or you pass on the road. There are a growing number. It is sort, it is becoming an affordable transportation vehicle of choice for Georgians. It, they're all over the road. And, you know, I think Kemp is focusing on, hey, you want to get your tax your tax rate when you buy this electric Kia is, and particularly, and you'll be buying the electric, the electric vehicles once the production shifts in West Point. So, I mean, I think at the end of the day, to me, it's a consumer issue. Alan. Well, there are a couple of things going on here. One, I think it's already been mentioned that camp has to find something to criticize that the Biden administration is doing uh, while at the same time, continuing to support the subsidies <laughs> for electric vehicles and batteries and things like that that are being made right here in Georgia and and, and providing thousands of, of jobs here in Georgia. So he has to figure out some way to straddle that that issue. Uh, the other thing that's going on here, though, uh, and I think you saw that with this group of House Republicans that came down to hold the hearing here, is there's a, there's a, there's a, this is ideological. Uh, and what it really is about is that a lot of those on the right don't like the whole idea of shifting a bit shift to green energy uh, and the shift away from fossil fuels. I mean, that is what's driving this. And I think there is still a deep commitment on the right um, to the production of fossil fuels and, and, and resistance to anything that would shift, you know, in the direction of greater reliance on, uh, on, on green energy, because don't forget a lot of them, don't believe in climate change. They don't think it's real. Um, their voters certainly uh, very suspicious uh, about it. And again, they're playing to their base. So when they make these attacks on Biden's policies and the subsidies for green energy, they're playing to their base just as they are when they talk about you know, diversity programs and universities and CRT and everything else. It's all about playing to the base. Donna, nobody followed the legislative session uh, more closely than you and your team at lawmakers did. And I want to add one element to this conversation. Um, Right now, 
when you buy an electric vehicle, when you go to charge it, you pay based on the time that you're on that charger to uh, uh, fill your battery. Um, the legislature, I think, they did pass, I think, did they not? The legislation, <clears throat> I don't think Kemp signed it, that in 2025 would begin charging people based on the number of kilowatt hours they use, um, which will probably raise how much it costs to charge an electric uh, vehicle in the future. So once again, it feels like the right arm doesn't know what the left arm is doing. Yeah, you're right. And and the governor hasn't signed it yet. So so right now there is a registration fee that anybody who gets an electric vehicle pays. It's about $211. They pay that. And if this bill goes through and becomes law, it's $2.84 per kilowatt hour that they will have to people will have to pay um, at public chargers in in Georgia. And that is considered a way to make up for the loss in the gas tax that the Department of Transportation definitely needs. Um, and, but according to you know the climate groups, they're, what they're doing is kind of double charging um, these people who have EVs. So there's this encouragement to go for this clean energy to get these vehicles that were built in Georgia when they eventually are, are, are available to everybody, but then to also um, put this price on them and charge them more. So so that is a big issue. And it'll be curious to see what the governor does in terms of this bill. Uh, Jim, you, you do understand, we do understand the Department of Transportation worried about its revenues as more and more EVs appear on the road. So there is a, a, a tugging back and forth there that is reasonable. Oh right, no, 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 no. Look, there, are, there are two systemic pro uh, problems facing facing us with the shift to, to electric vehicles. One is, one is, is, is being able to create enough e enough charging stations and charging stations that are fast enough so that people will feel comfortable driving around. Uh, uh, in a, so, so you're not sitting in your car for an hour waiting for what what is essentially a fill up. Uh, uh, to your to your to your batteries, but the other one is is, is and, and it's it's a very serious issue at the state capitol is 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 finding a way to fund Georgia's road system after uh, you know after after in in a post gasoline era in a post diesel era era, and and that's going that's going to be a a, a major concern of who pays and how much do they pay. All right. Um, we got to get to our final break of the show. When we come back, um, I still have a couple of big issues I'm really eager to talk to this panel about. You're listening to Political Rewind. We have a good amount of time left, but there are a couple issues or a few issues I'm really hoping to get to, so I'm going to ask the panel to help me out with that. Ellen Abramowitz, yesterday, as soon as news broke that that uh, the vice, former vice president of the United States had actually appeared before the grand jury investigating uh, the efforts by Trump and others to overturn the results of the 2020 election, you sent note to me saying, this is big, big news. Talk to us about why this news is significant in your uh, mind. Right. I, I think it's, it's huge. Um, we know for that, that uh, 
Pence has been resisting uh, this effort to get him to testify. And, and of course, the former president has also been resisting right up until the last minute. He was still trying to prevent um, uh, vice, former Vice President Pence from testifying. Um, and the reason that he's so worried about this is because we know that Pence has a lot of information about what was going on in the immediately before the January 6th insurrection. Um, we know that Pence had uh, private conversations with uh, President Trump uh, immediately before that happened, uh, 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 before the efforts to overturn the election, I should say, uh, before the cert the uh, uh, meeting uh, of the joint session. Uh, and he has a lot of uh, information about what Trump was trying to get him to do uh, and, and about his conversations that he had with others about, about that, uh, which, where he learned that that he had no ability and no no legal right to 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 uh, re reject the electoral vote. So, so th this is potentially very very dangerous uh, for Trump um, as as the uh, uh, special prosecutor uh, and grand jury uh, you know move ahead with the investigation and uh, possibly uh, a, a future indictment. Jim? Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, uh, yesterday in, in kind of the aftermath, uh, uh, Pence's people were saying, well, going, well, I, I, I'll correct that, uh, going in, his people were saying, well, he's already he's already written a book about the experience. He wrote a, something in the Wall Street Journal, uh, an op-ed about okay. it, and, and, and it, it's, it's not going to be anything more than that. Uh, I think I think a federal prosecutor is probably going to disagree with that. I think one sign – because it's grand jury testimony, criminal grand jury, you're not going to see – I don't think you're going to see a, a whole lot of leaks about what was what was said. But I think we'll get a clue. You know, if we've got a presidential – a Republican presidential contest coming up. You pretty much have to make a decision by July 4, I would think, if you're going to make a run for president. If, if we see Trump – I mean, sorry. If we see uh, Mike Pence bow out of this contest before July July four, I think we're, we can be pretty sure that he that he gave the grand jury some very very uh, uh, interesting information that would not help him in a in a in a uh, presidential uh, presidential campaign. Uh, so I think that'll oh. be one gauge because you do have. I mean, look, you've got a the the, the Jack Smith is on a timetable. Uh, you've got the I, uh, the I think we still have uh, on the Republican side. We still have the Iowa caucuses mm -hmm. coming up, yeah, and yes. I think he's going he's going to have to make a call on whether to prosecute Trump before uh, before that date. I think. Well, Chuck, let me then fold in the other uh, news uh, that involves the presidential Republican side of the, the campaigns, and that is uh, Fannie Willis announcing that uh, at some date between July 11th and September 1st, she will announce whether or not she is going to issue indictments uh, because she told law enforcement agencies they better gear up for potential trouble. Many people interpret that as a sign that she does intend to indict Trump. So that will come potentially either right before or right after the first Republican debate, which, by the way, Trump says he may not bother with anyhow. You know, I thought uh, Funny Willis's letter was interesting to the law enforcement for another thing. <laughs> you, know, you, 
characterize it, gear up for potential trouble, Bill. I think she was telling law enforcement, gear up for how you're going to handle a former president of the United States coming into custody. I mean, to me, that oh. felt like a piece, a piece of it, you know, and, and, and that's my interpretation of it. That's just looking at it. Y'all better know how you want to deal with this when it happens. And the other thing is you look at what's happening on the federal side and you look at what's happening in Fulton County. Those trains appear to be running on parallel tracks. And which train gets to the station first? That could ha- that could be a very big, big piece of this. Um, Donna, uh, why don't you weigh in? I, but, you know, the question become Trump says nothing's going to stop him. Uh, his indictment in New York certainly didn't. Um, uh, he says uh, he's got a lawsuit pending in Fulton County to uh, have all of the special investigation, uh, special grand jury uh, reporting and uh, evidence thrown out. Uh, so there doesn't seem to be any reason in the world why maybe even as many as three indictments will stop him from uh, moving forward with his campaign, which in the long run is probably bad news for Republicans because he can still win the uh, nomination. Mm-hmm. Th- then he's got to win a general election. I don't think anything's going to stop him. I think he uh, he really wants this. He he wants vindication, he thinks, in his mind, and he's going to keep going. And as big as what happened in Manhattan when he was indicted there was, it's going to be much uh, bigger here. And uh, yet I think the only thing it could do is, is there are, there's so much talk of others, other Republicans getting into the race. It may have people start thinking about actually jumping in that would be certainly a good time to do it. And for the uh, Republican base to start thinking, let's look at somebody else because um, it looks bad here for Donald Trump. All right, uh, Alan, quick comment because I want to move on. I actually think that and everything we've seen so far indicates that uh, the more Trump is under assault uh, in the legal <sighs> system, uh, and when future indictments come down, the more they will rally behind Trump. And it's going yeah. to force all these other Republican candidates to take sides and say, are we going to defend Trump? Are we going to take or, or are we going to go after him? And so far, um, you know, they they're just uh, totally at a loss to figure out how to how to deal with this. We see that particularly with DeSantis. I mean, his he's plunging in the polls because he doesn't know, you know, how, how to deal with Trump. All right. Um, thank you for that conversation. Uh, Jim, uh, on Monday's show, just five days ago, uh, we talked a little bit about the settlement that Fox News made with um, uh, Dominion, one of the biggest uh, lawsuit settlements ever. And I said to Patricia Murphy, your former colleague on the show, you know, Patricia, they're going to pay out a lot of money, Fox News is, but nothing's going to change at uh, Fox News as a result of this. Well, (laughs) within hours, the announcement came that Tucker Carlson was essentially fired from Fox News. The question is, it's been big news all week, but the question is, what do we make of that? Is Fox chastised and going to change how it approaches its non-news, its ongoing uh, uh, promotion of conservative Republican, right-wing Republican ideals. It's just they have to find another voice to do it, to join the ones already there, yes? Yeah, I I think this was an in-house correction 
more than the uh, 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 than more so than uh, the the lawsuit itself. Uh, and you know, look, we've had it. We've had it. Uh, we, we've had this experience experience on the newspaper side too. When you when you get a figure mm. in the newspaper that starts thinking he uh, he's bigger than his employer, uh, and I've I've got to say there, uh, there 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 have been some leaked te- texts coming out in in a number of outlets, and when when you have a female boss, and you you. Uh, put in writing in text, uh, and you call her the, the C word. Uh, that pretty much seals your fate right there. Uh, so I'm, you know, I think I think what what this proves is that that Fox Fox News thinks that it still has a good handle on the monetization of the conservative movement uh, and on the conservative messaging. It, it, it'll depend a great deal on, on who they choose to replace uh, 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 replace Tucker Carlson in that APM slot, but it, it's, uh, uh, but, and it'll take some time, but I, I think they're counting on, on their prestige uh, to carry them through this dip. Donna, well, they, the, uh, I, think- I think it was, it. go ahead. No, I was going to say they, they they did the same thing when Glenn Beck was let go, when they let go of Bill O'Reilly. They kept going. They just found somebody else to kind of fill that slot. And I think that that's what they're looking to do this time. And it'll be interesting to see who they'll, you know, who who will do that. But I, I don't see them changing a whole lot. I think they, they got, they cut out what they needed to cut out. Um, yet, you know, after O'Reilly and Beck were uh, let go, we still here that there are you know some of the things that they've been doing over there this this atmosphere that is not great for women is still happening and uh, that's part of what's going on with what went on with carlson uh, uh chuck and ellen i want to give you a chance with the time that we have remaining chuck mine will be very mine will be very quick bill well i just saw on twitter the video that carlson posted the wednesday night got over 50 million views in 24 hours. That voice is not going anywhere. It may be going to a different platform, but the voice will be there. It's just a question of where will it be? Alan? Yeah, I, I don't I don't think he'll find an outlet, though, that's going to give him the kind of exposure that he had on Fox News. Um, so I don't know what the future is for Carlson. I mean, it's, it's hard to say. He certainly has a, has a following. But I don't think Fox News is going to change fundamentally. I think their business model... Is basically telling their, you know, again, t- telling telling their viewers what they want to hear, uh, and and I think they're going to continue doing that. They've already, according to I think it was the New York Times this morning, this week lost a third of their viewership over Tucker Carlson. One very quick comment from you, Jim, and I want to po- po- uh, frame it this way: the people who said this was a battle between journalists who wanted to tell their stories uh, under the First Amendment and Dominion are making a terrible mistake. There was nothing about journalism involved in Fox News, and it's sort of an insult to those of us who've spent our years in journalism to be put in that same frame. No, no, and 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 uh, I I can't remember where I read it, but a, a good way to to frame frame this thing is is rather than Fox News, call it the Fox Entertain Conservative Entertainment Network. There you go, Jim Galloway. Great way to conclude the show today. It's the end of the week. We're all going to take a weekend off. Jim Galloway, Alan Abramowitz, Chuck Williams, Donald Lowry, thank you so much for being here for the show. 
We're back again with a brand new show on Monday. In the meantime, take care, stay healthy, and be good to one another. Bye, everybody.